We're so glad that you've tuned into our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Laura Chapman and serve as the Care and Connections Pastor. We're in our series, A Beautiful Life, where we've been walking through the book of 1 John. As we dive into the fifth chapter of 1 John, we'll be hearing all about Jesus and how his love and legacy affects us eternally. Now here's Pastor Jason. Well, good morning to you guys. I sat up here front and singing, and I realized I need to pace myself because I have to talk a lot today, and my voice uh, has just been singing and praising, and what a powerful morning of worship already, and it's not even 10 o'clock, so imagine what could happen if, like, the coffee really kicked in, and uh, and, uh, so it's just incredible. I'm so thankful that each and every one of you are here. My name is Jason. For those of you that have not had a chance to meet yet, and I get the privilege of serving as the campus pastor here at our Nolansville campus, and I'm just so thrilled that you're here, and I don't believe it's by accident that any of you are here because I'm not a big believer in accidents. No coincidences. God has something that he wants to show you today and that he wants to teach you today. In fact, I want you to hear this from me. God has an incredible life for you. He wants it for you. God has an incredible plan for you, and there is no doubt that he has a plan. He has a plan to be with you. He has a plan to give you peace in the midst of storms. He has a plan to give you calm in the midst of worry and anxiety. He has a plan for your life to be forgiven through his son, Jesus Christ, and you didn't deserve that. You don't earn that, but yet he gives that to us so freely. And that truth, all of those truths have been at the heart of this series that we're concluding today called A Beautiful Life. If you have been here at any point of this series, you have probably kind of already hopefully caught a vision for what God has in store for you. And what God has in store for you is he wants you to move away from that life of sin, to move to a life with him. And that continues in growing in your love for God and your love for other people. That the true mark of someone whose life has been changed by God is that we would grow in love. That our love for God and our love for other people would be at an all-time high. And ultimately what we've seen in this series is that there is a real enemy. And what the enemy desires to do in our life is to destroy us and to believe, make us believe the things that are false opposed to what is true. And God asks us to devote those things to him. But maybe you're here for the first time today. Well, you are in luck. Because 1 John chapter 5 is a great reiteration of everything that we have talked about in this series. You're going to see the same truths unfolded right before your eyes today. So maybe you've heard this a million times, or you're hearing it for the very first time today. God has an incredible plan for you. And that plan for you is to make you prosper and to give you a hope and to give you a future. And he does that by saving you and setting you apart for something that is so much bigger than you. And the question at hand, though, is... Do you want it? Because God has made it so clear what it means to live that beautiful life. And yet, we have to seek it. Because if I'm not seeking it, I'm not going to find it. When's the last time that you just randomly found something really, really good? Unless it was a $20 bill in your pocket you forgot about from six weeks ago. Most of the time, when we just drift, we don't end up where we want to be. And so God says, I have a plan, and so I want you to find it. I want you to experience that beautiful life of Christ, and I am praying that God would give you those answers that you're looking for today and give you a clear sense of what he's asking you to do with this life that he has called you to live. I'd love for us to pray together before we dig into 1 John chapter 5. God, thank you for meeting us here. God, you are so good to us. And I thank you for a powerful time of worship. I thank you for your word. I thank you for community that we have in this place. I thank you for every person who's here. Those who are here for the very first time. And those that have been a part of Rolling Hills for quite some time. I know it's not by accident that any of us are here. You have a plan for our lives. And I thank you for what you're going to do in this place as we spend time in your word. 
learning and growing together. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had an experience in life when you wanted something for someone more than they wanted it for themselves? How did that work out for you? Probably a lot of work on your part and not so much return over on their end. We just finished a really strong season of three and four-year-old t-ball in our house. And I love it. I love everything about it. I love being out there in the hot blazing sun, watching everyone run towards the ball, everyone. Uh, And I still love that, you know, I wore six, seven games in, and there's always kids, sometimes mine, who yet still don't know it's first base is this way, third base is this way, and they just kind of run everywhere. And it is awesome. It was kind of one of the highlights of my week, to be honest with you. I also loved watching the moms and dads who want their kids to love t-ball more than their kids really love t-ball at this moment in their life. And it's always evidenced by the mom, and I mean no offense to this if this is you, mom, but it's always evidenced by the mom who drags the kid or gives them a lot of assistance in running the bases, slash their feet are never touching the ground because mom's dragging them all the way around the bases, wanting little Johnny to really love t-ball. And you're like, let's simmer. He's three. He might enjoy this someday, and I kind of get a good chuckle out of it, as I'm sure that you do as well. But in all honesty, what I do is I step back, and I realize in that moment I kind of catch a glimpse of myself. And before I start judging the mom, I realize, yeah, that's how I kind of tend to live a lot of my life as well. I want something for someone, maybe more than they want it for themselves, and so I'm trying to highly encourage you to be passionate about it, even if you are not. Sometimes here at church, I feel like I might want something for you. I might know that it's good for you. I know that it's something that you need, or maybe something that I think you will love, and I'll ask you, do you want to do this? Are you interested in this? Do you want to serve in this way? And sometimes you're interested, and sometimes you're not, and sometimes you say maybe, which I've learned over time is just a nice way to say no. Um, You can tell me no. It's fine. And I have to check my motivation sometimes because in the moment I realize, you know what, just because something might be good for you and just because it may be something that I think is the right thing for you to do doesn't mean forcing you to do it is the right thing. Just because something is good and just because something might bring value, you being forced to do it isn't going to lead to a good result. Let me give you an example. We're celebrating baptism today at our 11 o'clock service with an awesome young man named Ben Reno. And God has done something so special in Ben's life, and I love these celebrations more than anything, to celebrate the transformation in the life of a Christ follower. In fact, if you've never seen a baptism here in Rolling Hills, stick around for the 11 o'clock service. It happens after the second song. You don't even have to sit through the message again. You can just stand in the back and watch it and exit out after that. But I hope and pray that if you're in this room and you've never made that decision to give control of your life to Jesus Christ, And to ask him to forgive you that today would be the day that you take that step. Or maybe you're here and there's a step of public faith, a step like baptism, a public proclamation to the world to say, I do not belong to myself, but I want the world to know that I belong to Jesus. If you've yet to take that step of faith, I pray that today would be the day that you take that step. In fact, if you've made that decision to follow Jesus and you've never publicly said, I want the world to know, I'd love for you to take that step today. The tub is filled as we speak. But I don't think it's going to be a good idea for me to walk through the room and say, have you been baptized? Yes, please stay seated. Have you been baptized? No, here's a towel. Come and join me. (laughs) It's a really bad idea. 
It's a really terrible recruitment strategy. It's a terrible way to see the church grow. In fact, it's a terrible way to lead you in that decision. I'll give you another example. I think one of the best things you can do in the life of our church is to serve. I think to step up and to serve and to give of your time and to give of your resources, to work in the parking lot, to work in the tech booth, to work in family ministry on the other side of this cinder block wall. Did you guys know that on most Sundays we're having close to 60 kids on the other side of that wall over our three services? That's a lot of kids. And you hear them sometimes, don't you? And you know what? I love it. Because you know what that says to me? It says to me that they're there and not somewhere else. That you as parents prioritize your kids being here and you serving. I hope that all of you who are not serving over there will step up and serve. I think it brings great meaning to the life of four-year-olds and five-year-olds and fifth graders when they see men and women like you serving them and teaching them the things of God. And I hope that you'll step up to serve in some capacity. But it would be a really bad idea for me to say, okay, everybody who is not serving, please raise their hand. Give me your address. A church bus will be at your house at 845 on Sunday morning to pick you up and to bring you here and to force you to do it. It's a really bad idea. When you go to 1 John, what you're going to see here is that John is going to show us the truth. He's showing us what it means to live a beautiful life. He's mapping it out for us. He's given us some incredible tests. He's showing us the steps that we have to take. He lays it out very, very clearly. But ultimately, what John is telling the early church and what John is telling us now in the 21st century is the ball's in your court. Here's the truth. Respond to it. Here's the steps that God wants you to take. Be faithful. Here's the things that God is asking you to do. Won't you step up to be a part of what he is doing? Now, for those of you here for the very first time today, again, we're concluding the series in the book of 1 John, and we're in 1 John chapter 5. And 1 John is all the way over at the end of the New Testament and is a first part of a three-part letter that is written to churches. And it was written by the Apostle John, and it was to be circulated around amongst the early churches. And we read it today in the 21st century, still extremely relevant for where we are. Now, what was the purpose of these letters? One of the big purposes of 1 John was so that the church wouldn't be deceived. Because he said, there's always an enemy there, Satan, who wants to deceive you. And so I want you to understand the truth. And the best way to know truth and the best way to to not be deceived is to really know truth. And where does that truth come? That truth comes from God and God alone. So God's wanting us to remain true in him, to remain faithful to the calling that he has placed in our life. And that's been the point of this entire series that we're concluding today. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn to 1 John chapter 5, I would encourage you to do so. You're going to see these words up here on the screen. Maybe you have that Bible app and you want to hop over to 1 John chapter 5 because I'm going to read several verses of Scripture here, starting in verse 1, going down through verse 5, and then I'm going to skip around a little bit, but I'll be sure to let you know where we are. Starting in verse 1 down through verse 5, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. And this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Skip down to verse 10. 
Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar, because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. And whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. And then finally, verse 18. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. So what John is saying here is that you love God by carrying out his commands. He's saying that you find eternal life in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. He is saying Jesus wants to be in a relationship with you. He's saying in chapter 5, make no room for anything else in your life besides Jesus. And if you do all of those things, it will be leading to a beautiful life. This is the clear path to believe in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone, to carry out his commands, to leave no room for anything else in your life. And that leads us to this beautiful life. And John's making it so, so clear. Back to verse 2, though. He says, This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. So John is a really wise apostle. In fact, John is up in years. He's one of the older apostles who is writing this to the next generation, and he is dropping some incredible truth here. Is there anybody besides me that's looking forward to hopefully just being really, really old and saying whatever you want to say, and everybody looking at you and just saying, bless his heart? You know, he's just old, and he gets a pass and can say whatever he wants to say. For those of you that have lived some life, take advantage of it. I mean, you can drop truth to this next generation just by saying, you know what, I've lived some years, and you guys need... uh, uh, a firm talking to in that. But that's kind of what John is doing here. He's writing to the next generation, and he's saying the real fulfillment of knowing that you are with God is that you are carrying out God's commands. If you really want to be with God, if you really want that beautiful life, then you've got to follow the commands of God. Well, what are all of the commands of God? Well, how much time do you have? I mean, we could stay here all day, all year, and talk about all those commands, but I want to highlight just a few of them for you, just to get your mind wrapped around what are the things that God is actually commanding us, asking us to do. One of those is he's asking us to be happy when others criticize us and put us down, to be happy, to find joy when other people criticize you and put you down. Look at Matthew 5.11. Blessed are you when people insult you, when people persecute you, when they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That's a command of God. Another command of God is do not worry. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. He's saying don't worry. He's saying be happy when other people criticize you and put you down. How about this one? Another command of God is to forgive. To forgive even when people don't deserve forgiveness. Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brothers or sisters who sin against me? Peter, thinking he's so smart, says like seven times. 
Should I forgive people seven times who forgive me? And Jesus says, I tell you not seven times, but how about 70 times seven times? It's a command of God. Another command of God is to live generously, but don't make a big deal about it. Matthew 6, 2, when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And John is saying, this is how we know who we belong to. If we have a willingness to follow the commands of God in our life. Oh, and by the way, those commands are not burdensome. These commands shouldn't stress you out. These commands shouldn't be something that you wake up every morning and say, oh, it's a burden to do what God has asked me to do. Because if we're honest, sometimes we look at the commands of God as rules to be followed. And unless you wrote the rules, you probably hate rules. Most of us don't like rules unless we're the one in charge of the rules. Because that gives us a sense of control. But all the rules that we have to follow, we don't really like them. Most of you guys, I see you out on the streets. You do not like the speed limit rules. Okay? I mean, you just don't like them. You're not, you weren't consulted in asking what is an appropriate speed limit for that road. And so unless I make the rules and get to enforce the rules, sometimes I don't like them. But see, the commands of God, they're not rules uh, on a checklist. This Bible that I'm holding, the Bible that you have on your phone, it's not a lifeless instruction manual. In fact, it's life. And it's freedom and it's peace and it's these commands of God. So a question that you have to ask yourself, in fact, a question that you can only answer for yourself when you see it here on your notes. If you want to follow along and fill in some of those blanks, that helps my mind stay focused. So maybe it does yours as well. But you can kind of consult this later in the week. You see it there in your notes. But a great question is, at what point do the commands of God move from what you have to do to what you can't live without? It's a great question to ask yourself. At what point do the commands of God move from what you have to do to what you can't live without? A lot of our jobs have monthly reports that we turn in, expense reports, budget reports. And unless you are in the accounting department, you probably don't necessarily like those reports. Why? Because you're forced to do them. And you're forced to turn them in. And because I'm forced to do something, it robs the joy of that project. At some point, the commands of God should move from being a burden to being a blessing. Because these aren't burdensome things. Now, on a personal level, I'll be brutally honest with you guys. It took me a while to get to this point in my life. It took me a while to get to the point where the commands of God were not viewed as a burden, but rather viewed as a blessing, something I couldn't live without. God's word and God's desire to follow commands and God's desire to, to, to be devoted to him, that brings life to me. And for some of you, that is the strangest thing you have heard all year. What? This is actually life-giving to you? It is. I look forward to waking up in the morning and opening God's Word and spending time in prayer and writing out verses and reflecting upon those verses and praying for the needs that are in your life. That's not always been something that I have been as passionate about. Why is it something that I can't live without now? Because I see the difference at the end of the day when I don't devote myself to this. And based on your head nodding, I'm assuming you do as well. You see the difference in a day that's not devoted to God. You get to the end of the day, and if you're like me, you don't necessarily like the way you responded to things in the course of that day. So at what point do the commands of God move from what I have to do to what I can't live without? Some of you are kind of struggling through this right now because it's not coming to you as quickly as you want it to. You keep leaning in because overnight successes are pretty rare. Some of us struggle with addictions. You didn't get in your addiction overnight. You're not going to get out of it overnight. 
Some of us are struggling with health decisions right now. We didn't get there overnight. We're not going to get out of that overnight. Same is true about the commands of God. If I'm struggling right now to grow in these commands of God, I probably am not going to get from point A to point B by putting this under my pillow and just hoping that osmosis brings all of God's commands and just saturates my mind. And immediately I wake up on Monday morning ready to go. No, you got to be disciplined and take those steps of faith because God wants to be with you. How do I know that God wants to be with you? Because he's lavished his love upon you. And he wants these commands that he's given you to not be burdensome, but rather to be life-giving. He's already done so much for you. He sent his son Jesus so that you could have life, and that's not anything you deserved. And it's certainly not anything that you have earned. So know that he wants to be in relationship with you. Won't you lean into him specifically to affirm that? Look at verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony, but whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. Because they have not believed the testimony that God has given about his son. And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life. And this is life in his son. Whoever has the son has life. And whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. What John is saying is that some of you have made God out to be a liar. And this is how you have done that. Because you don't believe in his son Jesus. And you don't believe that Jesus is the truth. And that God has given us eternal life through Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. It's only through Jesus, and that is the jumping off point. It's been the jumping off point every week for that beautiful life that God has called us to live, and it will be the jumping off point for the rest of your life. You see it here on your screens. Jesus provides life in a way that nothing or no one else ever will. That's the key to the beautiful life, is realizing that Jesus provides life in a way that nothing has ever or no one ever will besides him. Look at verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, you can go out and you can try to find meaning in a lot of places. You can go out and try to find fulfillment in a lot of places. Nothing is going to be better than Him. For those of you that don't believe this, try it. In fact, I've not looked back personally, and I would attest that I'm sure there are many of you in the room that would say, my life has not been perfect, but Jesus has been there with me every high and every low. He has been right there with me in the midst of it all. Now, sometimes in life, though, we know that something is really good, and we still go try to find meaning in other places, or we try to recreate something somewhere else, or we try to look for something else to measure up to what we already know is here. It is the truth. It's kind of how I feel about meatloaf, to be honest with you. You guys are like, where is he going with this? It's kind of how I feel about meatloaf. I consider myself an okay cook. Not great, but okay, a few things I can make. Well, one of the things that I feel pretty confident in is my ability to make meatloaf. We have chili cook-offs all the time. You know, when is the town meatloaf cook-off? So if somebody organizes that, let me know. And I am entering this uh, contest. I really enjoy meatloaf, and so this is what I do. I tend to go out to restaurants, and if restaurants have meatloaf on the menu, I want to order it because what am I trying to do? Comparing it to what I know that I can make. And in the most humble, non-bragging way, this is what I've realized. Mine's just better. <laughs> it's just um, better. A couple of years ago, I was having uh, lunch with a friend at a, a local restaurant, and I ordered a meatloaf, and it came out, didn't have any ketchup on it. <laughs> Had mushroom gravy on it. 
it was good. Um, so the server comes around and says, how was the meatloaf? Like, you know, 18, 19-year-old student. How was the meatloaf? And something came over me. And I said, um, well, um, I would call this more of a Salisbury steak. Um, and the Salisbury steak was really good. And then I pushed back from the table, and I was like, who am I? Uh, a meatloaf snob, you know, and this, this poor little worker is just kind of like doing her job, and I'm over here giving her a diatribe about gravy and ketchup and, and all these things. I was like, what am I? But I laugh about it, but look at what John is saying. John is saying there is nothing like Jesus, and you are going to try to find something as good as him. Good luck. He is saying he brings you life. He brings you peace. He is your all in all. Freedom comes in him. Peace comes in him. Joy comes in him. And yet, what do my eyes tend to do? Still wonder looking for something else. And John is saying, you're not going to find that beautiful life when you try to recreate what God has already done somewhere else. In fact, that leads you to frustration. That leads you to distractions. That leads you to anxiety. That leads you to worry because, see, there is nothing better than him. And John's giving us more reasons. He says, if that's not enough, here's even more reasons as to why nothing is better than this relationship with God, this beautiful life with God. Look at verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. John says, you're assured of eternal life, but you're also assured that Jesus hears you when you pray. And that's how your life can be set apart. It's one of those steps. It's one of those tests to know that he hears you when you pray. Look at your notes. Be confident in this. God yearns to be in constant communication with you. Be confident of this. God yearns to be in constant communication with you. Some of you were raised in religious backgrounds where you believed and you've been taught that you had to go through someone else in order for God to hear you. And I want to let you know that is not true. You do not have to go through anybody else for God to hear you. God says, approach me with confidence. And you approach me with confidence. Why? Because I hear you when you pray. You can approach God with a high degree of clarity and certainty that he is going to hear you. Now, is God going to give you everything you want? No. Is God going to give you everything specifically that you ask for? Absolutely not. But what he does do, according to scriptures, he gives us things according to his will. And so some of the things that I'm asking God for that don't come the way that I want them to come means that that wasn't God's will. And that wasn't God's plan. But I can still approach him with confidence. In fact, I believe I should approach him with more confidence, realizing that he has a plan that supersedes my plan. That hopefully doesn't frustrate you, but that allows you to approach with even more confidence of saying, you know what? God actually knows it all. And his plan is so far greater than mine. And so that increases my confidence in him so that I can know his will. Now, what do I know about God's will? Look at Romans 12 too. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, God's plan for you is good. It's a pleasing will. It's a perfect will. You may not think that God's plan or God's will for your life is good, but talk to him. Approach him with confidence, and you'll see how good he is and how much he cares and how much he listens to you. Have you noticed in life that 
that often misunderstandings or frustration happen because we're really bad at communicating. Have you noticed that? That many times poor communication or a lack of communication uh, or frustrated communication or whatever the case might be tends to be at the root of many problems. And sometimes it's at the root of relationships that are squandered is that we just don't have proper communication or healthy communication. Sometimes I find myself, I'm not able to sleep at night. Instead of doing something useful, I get sucked into watching people online argue who don't even know each other. And you start to get kind of sucked into these Twitter feeds or these Facebook posts or next door or whatever the case might be. And you kind of start watching all of these posts unfold and you realize these people are really angry, really angry at one another. And then you scroll down and you realize they don't even know each other. These are strangers arguing, no relationship. No healthy communication. And I think to myself, well, what's present in that place? These are not two parties that are sacrificing anything for one another. This is my way, my way, conflict. This is I'm the most important, I'm the most important, conflict. This is me assuming something about you you never said, conflict. Poor communication, unhealthy communication, nothing that is God-honoring or faith-giving at any point in time. And we wonder why those relationships are so askew. They're so soured. And what God is saying, I want you to be confident in this. You can come to me because I already know you. And you can talk to me and trust me. Because there's a basis of a relationship already because what has God already done for you more than you could ever imagine. He has lavished that love upon you so you can approach him with confidence. You don't have to worry about God judging you because he's already paid the price. For you. There is nothing good, bad, ugly, sinful, indifferent, anything you're ashamed of that God doesn't already know about. He's sovereign. And so he says, approach me with confidence because I know everything about you. But if we run from him or we make no effort to grow in him, what do I tend to do? I tend to look at sin. When I run from God, I tend to look at sin. And this is what we can see certainly about sin. You see it here on your notes that walking a path towards sin never leads to the beautiful life that God has for me or that God has for you. Walking a path towards sin never leads to the beautiful life that God has for you. Verse 18, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. See, once you're made anew with God, our desire is to be to run from sin. Are we ever going to mess up? Yes, lots of times. But according to Scripture, the Son of God helps me Jesus helps me to see what's true and to see what's right and to know the path that I need to walk on. Some of us are walking towards sin right now and we're wondering why we don't experience that beautiful life in God. It's because those things don't play well together. Walking a life of sin, leaning into a life of sin opposed to leaving that sin and running towards God is what the clear answer is. God sent us his son Jesus to help us have that understanding. He sent us the way and the truth and the life and the path in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. And then John punctuates all of this with this last verse. Look at verse 21. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. And I read this probably like you heard it today or have read it before, and you're kind of like, oh, that was a hard left turn. 20 verses about love and live and love and love. Oh, and by the way, children, please keep yourself from idols. And I thought at first, well, maybe I'll just leave this out because I don't know what this has anything to do with the rest of the text. And then I realized, no, actually, this is the perfect punctuation mark. 
for this series because John is making great effort to show us where life comes from and how to remain focused on the person of Jesus Christ and how to remain focused on the truth opposed from the false. And we are to do that by keeping away from idols. Now, back in the first century, you got to go back 2,100 years, give or take a few, to really understand what's happening here with first century idols. See, these were physical structures, brick and mortar things that were built that were objects of worship. These were idols that, that people would build and they would put in their homes or they would put in the temples or they would put in their sanctuaries and they would worship them more so than worshiping God, meaning that the things that I'm supposed to bring to God, devotion and worship and my attention and my commitment and my sacrifice, instead of bringing those things to God, I brought it to something that was false. I brought it to an idol. And what I'm doing when I worship an idol is I'm putting confidence in something that I should be putting my confidence in God. I'm misplacing the confidence over here when I really need to put it towards God. I'm putting my trust in an idol opposed to my trust in God. I'm giving my devotion to an idol instead of my devotion to God. So what do idols do? It's the last point you see here. This is what idols do in your life. Idols fill the space that's intended for God. It's the purpose of an idol. It fills the space in your life that is intended for God. And I can see the looks on some of your face. Pastor Jason, I don't struggle with this. We don't have any idols in our house. I haven't built anything in my house that's an idol. I don't have anything in my house that's an idol, so can you go ahead and wrap this sermon up so we can head to lunch? I don't have any idols in my life, but the reality is, by definition, an idol is something that you worship. And what do I worship? Worship is the response to what I find most fulfilling. So I worship what I find most fulfilling and idols are objects of worship. So you have anything in your life that's not God that you're giving more attention to than you are to God. And all of a sudden, this verse has a lot more relevance to us. See, when you don't handle God's money, for example, in God's way, you're saying, I have more confidence in my financial abilities than God's financial abilities. When you don't seek to fulfill the commands of God or you think they're a burden, but rather, you know what, I want to chart my own path, and I want to follow my own rules, and I want to make my own rules, then I'm saying my rules are better than God's rules, or my commands are better than God's commands. Sometimes as parents, sometimes as grandparents, we think that what really gets our kids ahead is sports and extracurriculars and education and all those things, fine and well, we do them all, I love them all. But the reality is, the things of God set your kids on a path of a beautiful life far more than the things of this world ever will. And so there's a balance there. And so after hearing all this, it's likely that maybe some of us, self-included, have allowed idols to fill space that was intended for God more than we even realize and more than we'd even care to put words to. But John says, keep yourself from them. And when you do that, you experience that beautiful life. So today's the close of this message. It's the close of the series. And maybe this entire series, God has been speaking to your heart. You're here for the very first time today, and maybe God's speaking to your heart. And my question is, will you listen to him? Will you follow in obedience to what it is that he's asking you to do? Because this is what we see in this scripture. John's reminded us in all five chapters that it's going to be easy for you to be deceived. There's true and there's false. Lean into the truth. He says if we're not growing in love, we're not growing in God. If we're not growing in a love for God and a love for people, then we're deceiving ourselves. 
And ultimately, he's saying there is a beautiful life, but it is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Once you engage in that relationship, lean into him. And whatever it is that God's asking you to do today, once you have the faith and the courage to take that step. God, thank you for meeting us here. We are so grateful for who you are. God, you are so good, and we love you. We're thankful for your son, Jesus, that gives us life. And I pray, God, that in the midst of all that's happening in our life, in the midst of all of the stress, in the midst of all of the chaos, in the midst of everything, we thank you that you can be trusted. I pray, God, for the person right now that's struggling to believe that you are for them, that you would meet them. For the person who's wanting to take a step of faith but has struggled with the courage to do that, I pray that they would have that courage today. For the person who's made your commands far too burdensome and they've lost the joy in life, I pray that they would find that joy in you and in you alone today. Thank you, God, for sending your son Jesus to sacrifice where eternal life is found. I pray that we would live in that truth, that we would live in that knowledge of what you have done, Jesus. You have sent your son, his blood was shed so that we could have life. That changes everything. It leads us to a beautiful life. So I pray that we would find that today and find it in you and you alone. It's in the powerful name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History for Parents, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our app or visit the website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.